Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Up next. I remember him hitting my face and saying, I have killed before and I'm not afraid to kill again. She survives this attack. Barely. Another woman does not. The crime itself might have been uh, motivated by some kind of a sexual perversion. He had a thing for anything with legs. The killer is so close, he's practically family. Could not believe it. (laughs) Still can't believe it to this day. He escapes arrest for years, but one clue finally identifies him. If we got the palm prints of the suspect, we would have the killer. I just didn't know how long it was going to take. Locals will tell you that the Old West is alive and well in Stephenville, Texas, a small town about two hours southwest of Dallas. We're known to be the cowboy capital of the world. We have a lot of rodeos here, and it's just a a quaint, quiet little town. For all of her life, it was home to Susan Woods, who loved the area's go-it-alone attitude. She was very strong-willed. She didn't want to leave Stephenville for any reason. She wanted to stay there with that steady job and the nighttime shift that she liked. And that's what she wanted, that's where she was. Susan met Indianapolis native Michael Woods, a professional musician in 1980. It was a classic case of opposites attract. This beautiful girl walked through the door and I saw her and I immediately started talking to her because she was probably the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. So I had to talk to her. They married a short time later. But while Susan loved Stephenville, her new husband did not. I could not stand Stephenville. I got harassed by the police on a regular basis. I was always having some big cowboy say something smart to me, and I'd back him down every time. I didn't take crap off of people and I didn't like their backwater attitudes. I wanted out, I hated Stephenville. This was too much strain for the marriage to bear and the couple divorced after five years. Susan stayed put in Stephenville. Michael moved home to Indiana and life went on until July 28, 1987. Susan didn't show up for work and didn't call in. This was so out of character that when her father found out, he went straight to her house and came upon a scene of horrific violence. She was totally nude, slumped over the edge of the bathtub, bent at the waist over the tub, and her face and uh, upper part of her body 
were submerged in the water. Oddly, despite clear indications this crime was sexually motivated, there was no evidence of rape. Also, there was no forced entry into the house, and Susan was notorious for keeping her doors locked. She was terrified of men. She really was. She was very scared of men in general. A guy that she had worked with came by one day to discuss their paycheck, and she would not let him in the door. She opened the window and talked to him through the screen. Every indication at the scene was that Susan knew her killer, and that led in one direction, to her ex-husband. Oh yeah, he was the one that jumped up right off the bat in the investigation. I felt like that Michael had killed her. I just felt like he had. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. As Susan and Michael Woods' marriage ended, she shared something shocking with her closest friends, a cassette tape Michael recorded for her and left behind. The tape was very filthy, vulgar, aggressive. He was very hostile, just very, very mad, bizarre. I was just in a state of shock when I heard all this. I just couldn't believe it. That tape really caused him to fear that he would be capable of returning and, and causing trouble for her. If detectives could find this tape, they'd have something of a smoking gun, but it was not to be. What we found out afterwards was uh, Susan had taken the tape and had shipped it to Michael. He was going to anger management. He wanted them to have the tape, so we never heard the tape. So Michael was an ex-husband with anger management issues and a murdered ex-wife. It didn't look good for him. Everybody in town, everybody who knew anything at all about Susan Woods swore up and down that Michael either did it or had it done. Detectives informed him that Susan was dead and told him he was suspect number one. I was scared. They were talking about putting me in, in the gas chamber. They said that I was guilty and they knew it, and I didn't see how any of this could be possible. But then the Texas police were involved, and well, I gotta tell you, I got no great love for the Texas police. Michael said he couldn't be the killer. He was in Indiana at a party around the time the murder happened. Plenty of people saw him. But he never provided those witnesses. So after that first interview, that initial interview with Indiana Police Department, he stopped all interviews, so they couldn't proceed with him. Or his alibis, they couldn't check him out. And even though Michael was living more than a thousand miles away from Texas, investigators said it would be possible for him to commit the murder 
and get home without leaving a trail. Back then, there weren't any gas station cameras. If he did it on cash, then yeah, theoretically, you could have come in, got it done, and left. As for the cassette tape, Michael admitted recording it and made no apologies. There were no threats on it. I cursed, I got loud, I was angry. But I never threatened Susan. Back at the scene of the crime, detectives noticed the toilet seat was up, something Susan clearly didn't need to do. A partial fingerprint, not from Susan, was lifted from the bathroom mirror. And the living room showed signs of a visitor who seemed comfortable in the house. Investigators discovered in the living room an ashtray that had six cigarette butts in it. I think they found a can of Coke, some potato chips, and I think a couple of cans or used cans of beer. It did look like if somebody had been visiting in the living room, they would have been a casual visitor or a friend or something of that nature. Detectives assumed the cigarette butts were the killers. Susan didn't smoke and lived alone. The butts were taken into evidence. A partial print was lifted from one of the beer cans. But the key evidence was in the bathroom. The position Susan's body was found in made it appear her killer had shoved her head under the water in the half-filled bathtub. That's up close and personal. I can only uh, imagine the terror that she was feeling, trying to gasp for breath, for air, trying to at least get her head up enough to get a breath, and knowing that drowning is inevitable. I can't imagine. Since Susan was fighting back, analysts surmised her killer would have braced himself by pushing his body against her and putting his hands on the rim of the tub to give himself some leverage. It is suggested that the perpetrator would have had to have positioned himself with his hands on each side of her on the bathtub itself. And this theory proved to be true. Palm prints were found on the top of the tub, directly to the right and left of Susan's body. I knew we had prints of the killer. I knew that it would be possible to identify the killer if we ever got a print from him to, to compare. If Michael Woods killed his ex-wife, there would be no escaping this evidence. It was very obvious that whoever left those prints there was the one who had killed Susan. When forensic analysts lifted two nearly perfect palm prints from within inches of Susan Woods's body, they were confident they would solve her murder. Virtually everyone involved in the investigation believed Susan's ex-husband, Michael, was her killer. Now, it was only a question of getting his palm prints, and detectives had enough probable cause to do it. They had arrested me, my brother, and a friend of ours that was at the house and took all of our prints. It was just ridiculous. They wanted me because it would have been an easy case to prosecute. Detectives who thought they had their man were in for a surprise. They didn't match. So that pretty well eliminated him as the, the killer. They were shocked. They, they were convinced that it was Michael. It didn't seem to matter to them that they had evidence to the contrary. They had people in Stephenville that were willing to talk very bad about me. 
and the tails grew taller as they went. The palm prints were tested against 160 men. There were no matches, and soon there were no more suspects. The case stalled. I prayed every night to God that before I left this earth, I wanted to know who killed my best friend, Susan. By 2002, 15 years after Susan's murder, fingerprint and DNA technology had come a long way. A male DNA profile was lifted from the cigarettes left burning in Susan's living room. To be absolutely sure, this profile was tested against Michael Wood's DNA. And it was not Michael. And uh, I called Michael and I said, Michael, you are not a suspect at all. So you're cleared. He broke down, he started crying, and he said thank you, and he hung up the phone. I don't remember when or if he said, you're no longer a suspect. He may have said it a dozen times. I don't know. I was pretty blown away by all this. The unknown male DNA profile was entered into CODIS, the national DNA database. There were no matches. Nothing happened for years. Then, in 2006, there was an APHIS hit on the partial prints found in Susan's bathroom and on a beer can in the living room. They belonged to a 40-year-old man named Scott Hadley. His prints got into the system after a 1988 robbery. My first thought is, you've got the right guy, because I remember the other case I was involved in, and he was capable of doing something like this. The other case involved a woman named Shannon, who asked us not to use her last name. As a teenager, she dated Scott Hadley. I was 15, 16, he was 20, 21. So there was a big age difference, and my parents didn't approve. It was a forbidden love. Scott was very controlling when we were dating. He wanted to know where I was at all times, who I was with. A year after Susan Woods' murder, Shannon had an encounter that would change her life. She had ended her tumultuous relationship with Scott Hatley. She later told police he wanted to rekindle the romance, and she agreed to meet him. She soon realized that getting alone in a car with Hatley was a mistake. He immediately started pressuring me for sex. I refused, and when I refused, that's when he just, he, you know, he lost it and started attacking me. He started hitting me and, you know, I've never, you know, never been hit before. He was very abusive. He started raping me and then he would stop and smoke a cigarette, drink his Bacardi and would continue to rape me. The whole time telling me, that, you know, that I deserved it. Shannon told police she endured the brutal assault for eight hours. I remember him hitting my face and saying, I have killed before, and I'm not afraid to kill again. When he said that, I, I was thinking, I'm not going to get out of here alive. I'm, you know, I'm going to be his next victim. And that's when I started manipulating him and telling him how much I loved him. She talked her way out of it. I think she's very lucky to be alive. I hid my face. I, you know, I did things that I didn't think, I, you know, wouldn't have thought because I was 16 naive. I was so naive at that time. 
Alert detectives noticed strange similarities between Shannon's account and Susan Woods' murder. The missing link was whether Scott Hatley had a connection to both of these women, and detectives soon found he did. In 1988, when Scott Hatley was accused of a brutal sexual assault, investigators faced some hurdles. This despite the apparent victim having done all the right things. We immediately went to the hospital. They did the rape kit, they did everything. They collected so much evidence. I immediately pressed charges. But a grand jury failed to indict Scott Hatley. In Texas, at that time, male defendants were allowed to present as evidence the sexual history of accusers between the ages of 14 and 17. It was known as the promiscuity defense. When they failed to indict, I felt like no one was listened, that, you know, I, I felt like a victim again. Not only was I was Scott's victim, I became the victim of the justice system. And that hurt me worse than anything at that time, and still does. In 2006, Scott Hatley faced another assault accusation. He had been recently charged in Round Rock with committing a physical assault against his wife in a way that was very similar to the Susan Woods factual situation. This allowed police to take Hatley into custody his two prior alleged assaults or striking similarities to the murder of Susan Woods. All three took place over hours, and Hatley knew all three women. In fact, he was family with Susan Woods' closest friend. Scott Hatley was my cousin. I grew up with him. Uh, he was six years younger than me. When questioned, Scott Hatley denied any involvement. Did you ever have sex with Susan at any time? No. So there wouldn't be any reason why your DNA would be anywhere around her body? I would think so. But the evidence directly contradicted Scott Hatley. He surrendered his DNA, his palm prints, and his fingerprints. All of it matched back to the crime scene. There was no doubt in anybody's mind that he was the killer of Susan. I think he made a move on her, and I think he did try to kiss her, but she wasn't gonna have none of it, no. She fought. I believe she fought as best she could. Stephenville was a small town. Hatley would have known of Susan's recent divorce and perhaps thought she was available. To this day, no one knows how he got into her house. But once inside, he apparently subdued Susan in the bedroom and strangled her to near unconsciousness with an electrical cord. Investigators believe this was the start of a lengthy assault. In this case, he left his palm prints on the rim of the bathtub, fingerprints on the bathroom mirror, and on a beer can. This was before anything like touch DNA. And since there was apparently no actual rape, no DNA was found on Susan's body. 
but Hatley didn't realize he'd left his DNA on cigarette butts, later found in Susan's living room. During the final assault, in the bathroom, Susan fought back and hard. To subdue her, Hatley had to brace himself against the tub, leaving two nearly perfect palm prints on both sides of her body. He has a pretty arrogant streak, and he just thought he never would get caught or didn't, didn't think about it. He thought he was bulletproof. And to a certain extent, he was. After overhearing a conversation in jail by two men in a death penalty case, Hatley provided crucial information to prosecutors. That helped his case, and he accepted a plea deal for 30 years in prison for Susan Wood's murder. He served only 11 years of that sentence, released on parole because of a good record behind bars and prison overcrowding. So even though the nature of the crime would have mitigated against uh, him getting out early, apparently he was a clean prisoner and everybody in the prison system thought it was time for him to get out and so they made that call. Susan's family and friends are outraged her killer is a free man, but are grateful for the evidence that finally exposed him. Well, I think he's a coward. I think he views women as second-class citizens to be used at his discretion. And I'm sure if he thinks he can keep it quiet or keep it down, he'll try again. I would describe Scott Halley as a monster a narcissist monster. He's a very dangerous man walking the streets. But in the end, the one thing is very, very for sure, and that is Scott Atley is guilty of this crime and forever will be. 